0: Good morning. Welcome to Speaking of Animals. I'm Caitlin Holling, and I'm the Community Outreach and Development Coordinator here at the Flagler Humane Society. Happy Saturday. Today, I am joined by a special guest. I have Joseph Cordova here with me. He is a attorney, an attorney who is also the director of the Florida Legal Services Fair Housing Initiative Project. Welcome, Joseph.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course. So, just to get to know you a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about you? Where are you from? Where you live now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm originally from Colorado, but I've been in Florida for about 11 years now. Um, I live in St. Augustine, but the work we do covers uh, kind of north-central Florida, coast-to-coast coast of the peninsula. So, we cover, uh, what are we up to now? 14 counties. Oh. Uh, yeah, so... St. John's County, Flagler County, all the way out to Gainesville and Dixie, Levy County, down to Orlando, and all the way south of uh, Indian River County. So it's quite a big region that we cover, and so I'm very happy to be here speaking to your audience.
0: Yay, thank you. So where did you go to school?
1: Um, well, amongst uh, all my schoolings, <laughs> I did graduate from the University of Florida with my law degree. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Go Gators! Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alrighty. So now you may be wondering, to the audience, why I have invited an attorney to come on to our radio show. Speaking of animals, and how does he relate to animals? Joseph and his team at Florida Legal Services Fair Housing Education and Outreach Initiative are dedicated to providing tenants, landlords, home buyers, lenders, and all members of the housing community with much needed awareness and information about their housing rights under the Fair Housing Act. This also includes emotional service animals and the issue of landlords not allowing them or charging a pet fee or rent for them, which I thought was a very interesting and important topic that many people could benefit from being a little more educated on, myself included. So Joseph, would you explain why you reached out to the Flagly Humane Society and thought your, thought our supporters could benefit from your knowledge and what you and your team do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when I reached out to you guys, it just seemed like a very natural partnership and collaboration because so many of the phone calls not only our office gets, but I know statistically speaking nationwide, the number one form of complaint when it comes to fair housing violations is disability-based. And within the world of disability-based complaints, it's reasonable accommodations for landlords and housing providers that are I don't want to outright say denying emotional support animals, but maybe they're just unaware of the rights of the tenant to have the emotional support animal. So a lot of the people that you know call me and say I'm having uh, concerns or I'm having an issue with my landlord, and it's the reason is because that landlord is not allowing for an emotional support animal or a service animal to um, be housed with them. The reason why I reached out to the Humane Society is that a lot of the uh, people that call me Their story has a certain commonality the the emotional support provides support to the the tenant or the individual and the truth is is that a lot of times they found their pet at a humane society and i used the wrong word the pet is no longer a pet but we'll get into that later but they found their animal at a humane society because they're there to support each other you know um i i rescued him he rescued me and we have this bond we (laughs) you know we have a a supportive relationship that goes back and forth. And so in reaching out to the Humane Society, one of the first conversations you and I had and some of the other staff was just an immediate connection that yes, you're right, a lot of the people that come here for their animals are seeking to rescue um, an animal who is also then going to rescue and support them. So it just made a natural fit to say, if these are the folks calling us, my guess is that we're working with the same group of people.
0: Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for reaching out to us. Yeah. Alrighty. So why is ensuring community members are protected from discrimination important to you?
1: It's extremely it's important because if you think about it, housing is the centerpiece of all issues. If you don't have housing, chances are you don't have a lot of other things in your life. Exactly. So, yeah, you know, it's really hard to get a job if you don't have an address. It's really hard to, uh, you know, um, move about and live your life if you're living out of a car, or if you're homeless. And so housing rights are something that are not only protected by law, But a lot of times people forget that being discriminated in housing can often lead to not just the denial of housing, but having to live with different terms and conditions than other fellow tenants. And this is actually another one of the most common questions we get is people who have emotional support animals and service animals. A lot of times landlords will say, okay, fine, I'll allow for your animal, but one strike and you're out. Oh, wow. And my answer is no, that is not how the law works. you don't want to live like that. (laughs) (laughs) You're not allowed to give a tenant a different term and condition because you allow them to have a certain accommodation. The accommodation is designed to say that you get to enjoy your housing equal to everybody else. Mm -hmm. So if everybody else has three strikes and they're out, so do you. (laughs) You can't have different rules for different people. That's a different form of discrimination. So the more I do um, housing and fair housing work, the more I realize just how important it is that everybody not only has the rights to housing, but they can exercise their right to equal enjoyment of housing.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I agree completely. So what exactly is the difference between an emotional support animal and a service animal?
1: Great question. I'm so happy you asked (laughs) that. So a service animal is an identified animal that is certified, properly trained to perform a certain function. And under the Federal Fair Housing Act, that is going to be a dog or a miniature horse. Okay. And so, a lot of times, yeah, I always thought <laughs> that was strange too. Why a miniature horse? Um, so the the for example, like a Seeing Eye dog, or a dog that alerts you when it's time for um, uh, diabetes mm-hmm. insulin. Uh, or I've heard stories recently from people who say I have I suffer from PTSD, or I have night terrors, and my dog wakes me up in the middle of the night yeah. before it becomes an issue. So that is a trained dog to perform a very specific service and function to the individual. They're certified and they're trained. Okay. On the flip side, an emotional support animal is can be anything. Uh, an emotional support alligator, an emotional support <laughs> snake. Probably not an emotional support shark or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but for the most part, the, 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 the world is wide open as far as the, providing that emotional support. It doesn't have to be trained. It doesn't have to be certified. All it has to do is basically play a role in the individual's life that the doctor identified as being very valuable to the patient. So it's kind of like a doctor prescribes an emotional sport animal. They they send a letter home that says you would benefit from having an emotional sport animal. And the reason why it's important to keep in mind that the landlord is not supposed to say, fine, I'll let you have a cat. Because the cat might not be providing the support that the individual wants. You might not be a cat person. You might be a dog person. You might, or the other way around. So it's not really the housing provider's responsibility to question the doctor. I always liken it to the idea that a landlord would never question the medication that a tenant would be taking. The, yeah. the doctor is the doctor and the landlord is the landlord and let's um, you know each do our jobs respectively. Exactly. And so, yeah, so the emotional sport animal, a lot of people get confused and, and I want to make sure I, I hit this point too. Because the law right now is kind of ever evolving and growing, there's a lot of uh, – I'll use the word scams <laughs> on the internet – where organizations are trying to sell – to tenants or people in need of emotional sport animals, buy this vest or buy this, and that's how you'll be able to prove that you have an emotional sport animal. It's just not true. You don't need a vest for an emotional sport animal. Okay. <laughs> you, you don't need papers. All you need is you a don't doc- need You don't Not for an emotional sport animal. Okay. Yeah, all you need is a doctor's letter that says, okay. My cl- or my patient would benefit from having this. Okay. You show the landlord the doctor's letter. You write your own letter that just says I, I'm making an official, formal, written request to have my emotional support animal, and that's supposed to be enough. Huh. Now, like a, you know, jokingly, if you brought in an emotional support shark, the landlord could probably say, "Let's yeah. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's talk about this." But anything that's not considered an undue burden, the landlord is supposed to nod their head and say, "Thank you. This will go in the file." And anything I can do to support you, let me know.
0: Okay, awesome. That's really good to know. Yeah, I had no idea. (laughs) I thought you had to buy a certification because I've seen them online. For the
1: service animal, it does get a little bit tricky because they do have to be certified and trained.
0: Okay, yeah. But for an
1: emotional support animal, you don't have to be trained to provide emotional support. That's one of the beauties. And honestly, you know, in your work, at the humane society that's exactly what animals are doing and they're not trained to provide that they just naturally do that and that's exactly. one of the beauty of having that emotional sport animal is that there's a connection and a bond that was made and it's not a certified bond because what would that even mean <laughs> exactly yeah
0: so should you have to pay for a certification great. or should you just get it from your regular doctor
1: great question no there shouldn't be any money exchange for an emotional sport animal oh, wow. it's, it's kind of like a doctor saying i prescribed this for you And so thank you so much for the doctor's letter. And then you go find your emotional support animal. You create that bond. You have your connection and you get to live with your emotional support animal.
0: That's amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. I think that will really help a lot of people out there. All right. We're going to take a quick little break and we'll be right back with Joseph. And we are back with Joseph. And we're going to get right back into some more questions to help keep you guys informed. So our next question is, what would you tell someone to do if a landlord denies them housing or tries to charge them pet fee or pet rent for an emotional support animal?
1: Well, you know that's exactly what I do is I I field those calls. Um, And what I say right away is I ask, did you properly ask for the accommodation? And this is one of the most important things to remember is that a lot of times people will be very emotional because they're being denied housing or they're being told you can stay here but your animal cannot. Or you can stay here but you have to pay an extra fee or something like that. And emotions start to – Come out Well, my job is to help them understand what's the timeline. Did you actually provide an official request for this accommodation? And if the answer is no, then we pause right there and say it's time to, to make that official request. So it has to be a written request. You include that doctor's letter and you identify that you have rights and protections underneath the law. I'm happy to help write those letters. I can draft it. I can send overdrafts. We can work together on that. Once you have that written request handed to the landlord, now we're waiting for you know the official response. Is it approved? Is it denied? If it's denied, I often um, encourage the tenant, whether they do this on their own or maybe I can help out in the conversation. The law provides for what's called the interactive process. It's not enough for a housing provider or landlord to simply say, I'm sorry, denied. Better luck next time the housing provider has to say we're leaning no but we have to figure this out. We have to mitigate the situation maybe we come up with a reasonable alternative again I go back to the joking idea of I have an emotional sports shark. Mm -hmm. You know the landlord could say okay not that but (laughs) there has to yeah there has to be a follow up (laughs) to the but Uh, you know maybe we could do a dog or maybe we could do this because the landlord does have a right to be involved in understanding how this is going to play out but Mm -hmm. they're not the directors of the situation the doctor and the tenant know the life of the individual best the landlord is supposed to support that so if it's an outright denial my job is to help them exercise those rights now if someone comes to me and says i did provide the letter and i did everything right and i still got denied now it might be time to move forward with something else. Maybe mm-hmm. that's in the form of filing an official HUD complaint, which is something I can help them out with. Um, you could possibly move straight into litigation, which I don't always recommend because mm-hmm. that kind of intensifies things quite a bit. Yeah. But there are measures in place to help you move past a denial and to still exercise your rights after that. Okay,
0: awesome. So it is very important to be educated on our rights. So what exactly are our rights under the Fair Housing Act when it comes to emotional service animals?
1: So... The, the right is, the key phrase is, you have a right to equal enjoyment of your housing opportunity. Okay. So if, the, the like a good example would be, let's say you have an individual who suffers from anxiety attacks. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe even a better example would be like agoraphobia, a fear of public places and just kind of going outside. Mm-hmm. And your emotional support animal gives you that peace of mind, maybe you feel safer, whatever it is that connection was made and you, you have your support dog or you know whatever it is that you have, you can now go outside your place and maybe take a walk around the neighborhood, maybe you can um, go to the pool area or the public space or something like that. You have a right to equal enjoyment of your housing, just like everyone else who doesn't have a disability. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not allowed to have an emotional support animal, then you're going to be stuck inside your unit the entire time, not enjoying your space equal to everybody else. And so when we think about it, it's not so much I have a disability, therefore I get to have a pet. That's not what it is. I have a disability that requires me to engage differently and bond with my animal in a manner that it supports me living my life in a manner that other people do who don't have the similar same disability that I do.
0: So because this applies under the Fair Housing Act and this, we're protected under the Fair Housing Act, does this not apply for airlines or public? places great
1: question i'm so happy you asked <laughs> that so the fair housing act covers housing and okay. the key term there is dwelling so anything that's defined as a dwelling so i okay. intend to live here okay so inside those doors and likely inside the living spaces so shared spaces in an apartment community that's going to be covered by the fair housing act the reason why that's under um, a key thing to understand is that if i have an emotional support animal and there's a rule that says no pets in the swimming area. Okay, well, if I'm not allowed to be in the swimming area because everywhere I go I bring my emotional support animal, then I am not allowed in the swimming area. So that's where the Fair Housing Act kicks in. Now, the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, that covers public spaces. So that's when you're going to find things like airlines – Um, Maybe even parts of the common areas of a living community that aren't considered housing, but they're kind of public spaces. So maybe like lobbies of a leasing agency or something like that. The ADA covers um, the public spaces. So a lot of times if the FHA doesn't cover it, the Fair Housing Act doesn't cover it, the ADA will and vice versa.
0: Okay. So you technically can take your emotional support animals to the grocery store or –
1: just any public place with you yeah it was not mind and i believe this is true under the ada and fha um the the particular animal you have one of the biggest concerns we get in our world as a landlord will say we don't allow for that breed oh well that's the equivalent of animal racism
0: yeah <laughs> you're
1: basically saying because i had a bad experience with this breed or my cousin told me mm-hmm. a story about this breed we don't allow that breed It's the specific animal that actually needs to pose a threat before you can actually say we're not going to allow this animal. And so for a blanket rule to apply to any animal of a particular breed or size, again, that's the same thing as like speciesism or whatever that word would be. right? (laughs) So when it comes to public spaces or in your unit, it's supposed to be on a case by case basis. This particular emotional sport animal or service animal has not been a cause or a threat to anybody. So this specific one gets to be a part of my life.
0: Okay, awesome. Yeah. I've definitely heard a lot of banned uh, breed bands and things like that. So.
1: Yes, I'm, I'm assuming in your world that's common.
0: <laughs> yes, and we do not like them at the Humane Society. We have lots of pities and we love them all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. So, what can you tell to people with emotional support animals when they are trying to use airlines or trying to take their animals with them in taxis or Ubers or even to hotels?
1: It's a great question. So when it comes to things that you can plan ahead for, like airlines and hotels, communicate early and often. Make sure the hotel and the airline knows you're coming. Because if they're going to say no, you need to know that no early on so that you can exercise your rights and turn that no into a yes. Maybe there's particular forms you need to provide. Maybe there's a doctor's letter you need to provide. If you kind of surprise them in the moment, it's hard to convince their no that even though legally it needs to be a yes... You're, you don't have the tools in your pockets to turn that no into a yes. So early and often is best. When it comes to just public spaces that you can't plan for, like a taxi or something like that, I always recommend have that information in your back pocket so you can kind of show someone this is what the law says and I, I have a right to this.
0: So would you? I know some of the emotional support places sell like little cards that you can carry. Is that valid or should you just carry the letter from the doctor?
1: Oh, I mean, if you can carry both, carry okay. both. But, okay. you know, sometimes that's a burden or something yeah. like that. But just be prepared ahead of time. One of the most common questions I get as an attorney is, can they do this? And the answer is, it's not a question of can they. It's when they do, mm. how do we exercise our rights in response to it? Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, that sums it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to take one more quick break and we'll be right back. and we are back with Joseph, and we're going to jump right into some more questions before we finish up. All right, so Joseph, you do not just focus on the issue of emotional service animal housing rights. There are unfortunately many areas where landlords, housing providers, and lenders deny housing or housing services for individuals based on race, color, religion, nation origin, sex, disability, or familiar status. Can you speak a bit on some things to look out for be aware of regarding discrimination in housing for everyone, not just specific to emotional support animals?
1: Yes, absolutely. So as I mentioned um, at the beginning, while disability is the number one um, you know, recognized violation of the Fair Housing Act, there are six other protected classes, which you just mentioned race, color, religion, national origin, and so on. And that's true across the country. That's the federal law. With Depending on the state you live in and sometimes down to the county you live in, you might have additional prote- protections based on local origin Ordinances or state laws or something like that. What you really want to pay attention to, there's three things. Number one is any like discriminatory statements. Maybe um, under the breath of the landlord, they use the phrase you people or mm-hmm. something like that. Those are things that you want to keep in mind as a red flag um, because that typically is a sign that there's some sort of discrimination going on behind why they're allowing you or disallowing you to do something that they treat other tenants differently. Which brings me to the second idea is any sort of differential treatment. I noticed that when my rent was late by a couple of days, I got served with an eviction paper. But when my tenant next door was late by three weeks, they were they worked with him. Yeah. What's the difference between me and them? Maybe it was different gender, different race, different national origin or something like that. And then the third thing is just being aware of different impact. There's this um, legal term called disparate impact and sometimes the rule applies to everybody. But when you actually play it out, it really only affects a few. So specifically, like a good example for emotional sport animals is you have a rule that basically says nobody is allowed to come on to the um, you know, playground area with their pets. Mm-hmm. That's a blanket rule for everybody. But when you really apply that rule, people with emotional sport animals are going to be impacted more because they're never going to get to enjoy that space because they don't go places without their emotional sport animal. So that would be a disparate impact. Even though the rule applies to everyone the same, it's really only impacting a few.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: So before we wrap up, is there any other statements you'd like to make or anything else you'd like to share?
1: No, I think this is a great conversation. I just want to make sure people understand that it's exercising your rights is a process. And so when you feel that your rights may have been violated against, make sure that you have the resources available. I'm a resource. Uh, maybe you're listening to this to somewhere else and you, you need to look up your resource, something like that. But uh, usually programs across the country, across the state are available to help you not only understand your rights, but help you exercise those rights. Um, because if we don't exercise the rights, then the violations occur, we get frustrated and then we move on. But then those rights are going to be violated for the person who follows after you. So sometimes it's not so much about your own um, benefits or your own quote-unquote payday sometimes it's about doing the right thing so that future tenants don't have to suffer through what you suffered through
0: yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So where can people contact you?
1: Uh, so I'll just give my phone number. It's 407 That's Florida Legal Services. Uh, we're grant funded, so we're a nonprofit legal organization, so we don't charge for our services. But we do have to make sure we keep our cases specific to the work we do. So my work is fair housing and housing discrimination. Okay. Um, and then I'll throw this out there too. Fairhousing at floridalegal.org is a way to reach me by email.
0: Yeah, lots of information on there. I definitely checked it out before to prepare. I'm happy to hear that. Alrighty, So I'm just going to make some statements about the Flagly Humane Society and do some announcements, some events that we're having in the future. So our first event is happening in September. It's our Shake, Waggle, and Roll Yap Yower at the Tortugas Florida Kitchen and Bar. It is on September 14th. It's going to be from 4 to 7 p.m. We will be having DJ Dan Carnegan playing all your favorite 50s and 60s tunes, and your mission includes a free drink and appetizers. It's $15 for admission. And you can visit Flagley Humane events to purchase your tickets. So you can come out, have some fun at Tortugas while supporting the Flagley Humane Society. Also, in October, Sunday, October 8th, to be exact, we will be having our annual pet-friendly one-mile walk at the Pink Army 5K event. It will be at the Advent Health Medical Hospital at 60 Memorial Medical Parkway in Palm Coast. You can register online now at palmcoast.gov slash events slash home slash details slash pink on parade 5K. You can also find that website or link on our Facebook page or social medias. Um, We hope to see you and your pets dressed in pink there as a percentage of all the pet-friendly walk registrations fees go towards helping the Fogly Humane Society. Alrighty, Thank you so much to Joseph for joining me this week. We learned lots from you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: All right. Thank you to everyone for listening to Speaking of Animals. I hope you guys have a great rest of your Saturday.